Good evening, everyone. My name is Simon Barrett, and this is another edition of Journey into Justice, a chance to uh, peek inside the uh, <laughs> oftentimes wild world of our legal system. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my uh, very good friend, author and attorney, Mark Bellow. Mark, welcome to the program. Good evening, Simon. Happy to be so, here. How's your day been? My my day is going fine. I'm, I'm a little under the weather, but I, but uh, my day is fine. I I'm uh, I'm vacationing uh, down south, and uh, we just had a huge, uh, un- unusual early November snowstorm in Detroit. So I'm glad I'm where I'm at. <laughs> Ouch! I'm, there's nothing good about uh, snow. <laughs> I, I I lived in Calgary for uh, many years. And I know all about snow, and I know all about snow in every month of the year, <laughs> and it doesn't get any better. <laughs> my my daughter sent me a, a photograph of her deck, and there's uh, there's got to be eight inches of snow on the ground. That doesn't happen in Michigan in, uh, on November 11th. That, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> okay. And so uh, let's um, move on. Um, I'm sure, well, I I know I'm a political animal. I sit glued to the TV, uh, cable news, um, and even I am beginning to get just a little bit burnt out on uh, this uh, whole Trump impeachment thing. Um, This week, um, the Roger Stone trial started. Um, I am so confused. I don't even know what Roger Stone is uh, accused of. And I certainly don't know if this trial is worth following, um, what's it all about? Well, it's part and parcel of uh, a larger legal problem that plagues the President of the United States, um, and it's starting to, to become... Uh, for students of history, very similar to um, the Watergate era and the Nixon administration and the way uh, President Nixon and all the people around him, uh, the people that uh, Woodward and Bernstein fondly called all the president's men, um, Back then, uh, it's starting. It's starting to look like that, and Roger Stone uh, happens to be, quote, one of the president's men, unquote. Um, uh, he's facing charges of witness tampering, and uh, making false statements to Congress uh, as part of the. Um, Russian Russia investigation and the Robert Mueller uh, special counsel investigation. Uh, those are the charges. Um, and he has been waiting. Uh, you might recall that uh, he lives down here in Florida where I'm at right now. Uh, very, in fact, very close to where I'm at. And you might recall that FBI agents raided his house and walked out with computers and documents and what have you 
and shortly thereafter, uh, he was charged with uh, with these crimes I just mentioned. So that's that's who Roger Stone is. He testified in front of Congress and lied, uh, or at least allegedly lied. Um, and he's also a, a kind of a uh, character. I don't know if you've seen him on television or or watched uh, uh, how he behaved after he uh, was indicted and spent a few minutes in in jail. Um, but he he actually gave a uh, wide-armed victory salute, reminiscent of Richard Nixon. Uh, and he's made some outlandish statements and behaved in uh, in a and and accusations for that matter, uh, um, primarily leveled at Hillary Clinton and her husband. Um, conspiracy theories. Uh, uh, he's kind of a bad dude. Um, but have, but the, the nitty gritty of this is that he stepped into a uh, congressional hearing room and said a few things that have been uh, determined to be false by the FBI uh, and by uh, witnesses who have uh, so far testified that he's done some things that could result in uh, some criminal liability for him. Uh, and that's essentially who Roger Stone is. Uh, I, I, I haven't uh, followed the trial gavel to gavel, but I've read uh, some rather detailed reports on it. Uh, uh, the first day, uh, very much uh, typical of a Roger Stone event, uh, members of the press described the trial as a circus. Uh, there were protests outside the courthouse, uh, various health issues uh, were alleged and cut the day short. Uh, Stone himself got up and took a 30-minute bathroom break and claimed food poisoning very shortly after the, <laughs> after the trial began. And finally, the judge, who, by the way, I, I don't know if you remember this, but this is the situation. This is the guy who posted a target with this judge's picture on it uh, on Instagram. Um, And uh, that by itself might be criminal. Um, Surprisingly, though, there have been some witnesses testifying, um, and it doesn't paint a pretty picture for Stone, including testimony by uh, the infamous Steve Bannon. Most of the trial so far uh, I, has been I focused on a, on a. Um, I, I heard that, that? Uh, Bannon was uh, on the uh, witness list. Has he actually um, uh, testified yet? Yes, he did. Uh, uh, Bannon has testified, and a comedian and radio host by the name of Randy. Credico uh, have been so far the key witnesses, uh, along with an FBI agent who's kind of set the table. Um, the prosecution basically used a, uh, a line chart, which is a frequently used visual aid, and they use this to try to connect the dots and illustrate context between uh, in this case, Stone and some top, uh, and some top uh, Trump campaign officials. But uh, Credico, if, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's C-R-E-D-I-C-O. He's a comedian and a radio host. And um, 
Credico uh, has one story. Stone has another. Uh, Stone's story and Credico's story are not the same. And Credico essentially uh, testified that Stone is lying and pressured him to tell the same story that he, Stone, told and refused to do it. Uh, and that so far is the, is the, uh, that and, uh, and Bannon's testimony, which I'll get to in a minute, uh, along with the FBI agent uh, producing some texts and emails written by Stone and Credico, for that matter, um, have been the highlights. Uh, and so far, there seems to be a pattern that shows uh, Stone told one story, others told another story, and uh, proof of the other story exists and proof that Stone was lying. Uh, and also, almost importantly, uh, obstructing and witness tampering on top of it. Uh, so uh, I think he's got quite a road to hoe. <laughs> but you know, um, like I like I said uh, when I introduced the topic, um, I'm sure I'm not the only person that is, is getting um, fatigue from all of this. I it, it's almost as if every single day we get. Um, another horrendous uh, thing happened that in any other time with any other president um, that they'd be gone. But um, Trump just seems to, uh, you know, plow on regardless. It, it, it doesn't seem to matter you know, how outrageous his actions are. Um, is that your uh, uh, view as well? Well, I have two, I have two comments about that. Um, I, I, I must disagree with you on the, on the uh, any other president and he would be gone. Um, Nixon was impeached, and or, or an impeachment proceeding started, and he would have been impeached. And in Nixon's case, he would have been convicted, uh, even though there were a substantial number of Republicans. I don't remember whether or not the Republicans had the majority. I don't think they were. Uh, I don't think they were the majority party in the House, for sure, um, uh, or rather in the Senate, because if you recall... Uh, uh, Senator Sam, I forget his last name, was sitting front and center, and and he would have been the uh, chairperson of the Nixon Watergate hearings, and he was a Democrat. To his uh, to his right was Howard Baker, who was the ranking Republican on that committee, uh, and and he was the minority party. So the Democrats controlled the Senate at the time. Uh, but Nixon would have been convicted by Republicans or Democrats because they proved him guilty. And that's what's missing so far with Trump. I, I agree with you that that there are tons of distractions, that, uh, there, that it's kind of a um, burnout type process, that I'm tired of the whole thing, that I that – I, I, I'm afraid to turn on the television, similar to you. But um, the only way to pursue a, quote, conviction, unquote, of the President of the United States is through an impeachment process. 
he can't be convicted in a courtroom. Uh, he has to be convicted by the Senate. He has to be impeached by the House. That process is just beginning. It's now being made public. It's still at the inquiry stage. Uh, so we have a long way to go. Um, the other thing I would say about what you said, Simon, is I, I think it's extremely important. Um, this, is an, this is a tremendous opportunity, it seems to me, for young people in this country to get a history lesson. And it's also a tremendous opportunity for kids to see uh, what presidential behavior should be and what presidential behavior should not be. The, I have a lot of, I, I know a lot of people uh, who don't like this president. I know a lot of people, and I'm sure you do too, considering you're in Mississippi, um, who think he's the greatest president we've ever had. And uh, I scratch my head and say, how can people from the same country uh, feel so diametrically opposed by the same human being? And the answer is because this is America and everybody has their own opinion and is, and is entitled to it. Uh, so the only way uh, for me as a lawyer to declare the Trump supporters wrong and and the Trump haters right is to have him proven guilty in the only court that can prove that, and that is in the House of Representatives first and then uh, conv convicted in the Senate. For him to be convicted in the Senate, considering that Unlike Watergate, well, actually, like Watergate. No, unlike Watergate, I take it back. <laughs> Those who are pursuing uh, impeachment conviction are in the wrong party. Uh, it's going to be tough to prove him uh, guilty and convict him in the Senate. Uh, so the evidence in the House would have to be overwhelming uh, of criminal activity um, for him to be convicted in the Senate. The interesting thing, though, and I don't think I have to tell you who Michael Cohen is, he's already in prison. Um, <laughs> yep. The crimes that Roger Stone is being accused of, and Roger, Roger Stone has been identified by many as as a right-hand man to Trump, uh, Trump's campaign manager um, is also in prison, uh, Paul Manafort. So you've got these three men, uh, Rudy Giuliani, by the way, uh, Trump's current lawyer, is also in trouble. You've got all, these pre all the president's men. There's that phrase again. Oh. Are either in prison or in trouble, and everybody is facing some kind of charge, uh, some kind of criminal proceeding, except the president of the United States. It strains it strains the credibility, doesn't it? Yes, this is what really bothers me. Um, uh, I, I uh, don't hide the fact that I, I think Trump is an idiot. I, I think he's very uh, bad for the country. I think his policies are uh, absolutely ridiculous. Um, and here we are uh, on the verge of uh, impeaching him for what, what I think are uh, definitely uh, 
impeachable offences, uh, um, self-enrichment being one of them, and bribery being another. But it's going to be all for naught. Um, it's going to hit uh, the Senate. And um, there's no way a, a Republican-controlled Senate will um, find him guilty. Just no way. So the whole thing, in in many ways, just is a huge waste of uh, time, energy, and money. That that's my thought, anyway. Well, I I agree with everything you've said, except for two things. One, I don't think okay. Trump is an idiot. I, I I certainly don't think. Trump is an idiot. I think, I think, uh, for him to uh, do the things he's done, to run the campaign he ran, to run the country the way he does, yet to ascend to the presidency, uh, you you just have to, I don't know, give give him some credit. Um, for at least being bright enough to properly gauge the mood of the country. The second part of, that I disagree with you on is is the waste of time and money. As I indicated earlier, I think this is an extremely important history lesson. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the Watergate hearings. Everybody was glued to the television uh, they talk about Watergate as an important part of history, and I was there to witness it. And I look at this exactly the same way for the young people of America. I think the TVs should be on in classrooms all over the country, and they should watch these proceedings because they're an important part of history. Um the issues here are remarkably similar to the Watergate hearings. And if you think about even Andrew Jackson and Bill Clinton, along with Nixon, the principal crime that all three of those guys were accused of was lying to Congress. Um, Trump never testified before Congress, which is uh, perhaps a large problem in uh, pursuing impeachment. But what he has done is submitted answers to questions, I believe under oath, in the Mueller investigation. And what people are forgetting about is uh, in, it lost in this whole Ukraine thing, and we might have discuss, discussed this on, on a previous show, but I'm a little um, – I, I disagree with the House of Representatives in their pursuit of Trump on the single issue of Ukraine and the phone call and the quid pro quo and the bribery. While I think that's certainly an important part of the case – and I think they can impeach him based on what happened there. There's so much other stuff that he's done um, that I think the whole wheelbarrow full of stuff should be part of the proceeding. And in that wheelbarrow are written answers that he completed for Robert Mueller. And if if there's a falsehood in those written answers, then he's lied to Congress and lied to federal investigators. And there is ample precedent. Andrew Jackson, Richard Nixon, and Bill Clinton 
to convict him in the Senate on those charges. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I, I don't disagree that it's a tough hill to climb to get this particular Senate to put on their honesty hats and uh, put bipart- and, and become bipartisan for a change and put the country first before the party. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. I I, I personally uh, can't see it happening. I mean, I, I watched a, an interview with Lindsey Graham today, and he, he was whining, or he, he had been whining um, about lack of transparency Transparency and uh, you know access to the uh, transcripts and blah de blah. And um, someone asked him, "So, uh, have you read the transcripts?" No, no, and I'm not going to, because this mm-hmm. is all a witch hunt. <laughs> Well, and not not only that, Simon, but but you know the whole the whole Republican approach to this has been deflection smokescreens. Um, you know, using the term witch hunt. Um, uh, very similar to no collusion in the Russia thing. Um, right. he, he has these he has these buzz he has these buzzwords that he uses and then he sends out his henchmen to do the kinds of things that Lindsey Graham is doing. Um, the, the one thing that's missing here though is aside from uh, not reading the transcripts is there's also a uh, if you recall from, from Watergate and, and again I, the reason I keep bringing up Watergate is because I see so many similarities between the behavior of all the president's men in Watergate and all the president's men in Trumpgate. And you look at what's what's called obstruction of justice, and the White House. And when they say the White House, that that to me you have to talk about buzzwords. The White House is a buzzword for Trump. When they say the White House denied uh, compliance with a subpoena, that's Trump doing that. When Trump says this witness will not testify, Trump ordered him not to testify. If you order a witness not to testify who's been issued a valid subpoena, you're obstructing justice. That's what Nixon did. Uh so aside from these lying under oath allegations, aside from quid pro quo and and bribery, you've got a huge, huge obstruction of justice issue, both with regard to the Russian investigation and with regard to the Ukraine situation. And by the way, the... Roger Stone trial is about lying to Congress, tampering with witnesses, and obstruction of justice related to the Russia investigation. And that's why it's an important trial. Um, so I, 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 while I, while I agree with you on, on the burnout, while I agree with you that I'm tired of turning on the news and seeing his face all the time uh, and this constant battle going on. Uh, I, 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 I believe it is extremely important and, and hopefully what will come of it, um, even with the Lindsey Graham's of the world, if you think about Lindsey Graham and you think about the state he's in, which is Georgia, which is being looked upon as a potential 
um, swing state in the 2020 election. I don't see it. Uh, I think it's going to be as Republican as it always was. But let's assume that you talk when you talk about burnout and and government distrust and what have you. Um, the, the mentality of throw them all out. Uh, Lindsey Graham fits very well into that portrait. And if his constituents start to get a little weary of him defending the indefensible and his popularity ratings go down, you're going to see an entirely different Lindsey Graham. Right now, he's he's well, able to stand there and say the things he says with kind of impunity, but I I don't see that happening forever if his popularity ratings go down. Right. Okay. Now, um, today you uh, sent me an email, and as usual, you had a phrase I had never heard of. Restorative justice, and mm-hmm. you said that it would be uh, interesting to talk about it. So, what is restorative justice? I mean, I like the sound of it. Um, <laughs> clearly, you're uh, fixing something that um, was broken. Um, tell me more. Well, I, I, it's funny because of all things, uh, I do want to get back to the stone trial because there's some funny stuff that I wanted to talk about. But but <laughs> okay. uh, we we can we can we can uh, we can move on and uh, and if we have time, come back to stone. But um, oh, of course we can come back. <laughs> Um, surprisingly enough, uh, I'm in the same boat as you're in. Uh, restorative justice has been around since uh, the 60s and 70s, and I've practiced law for 42 years, and I was unfamiliar with its existence formally. I, I mean, there's certainly, I'm certainly aware of situations where uh, the perpetrator meets a victim and the perpetrator has an opportunity to apologize to the victim and uh, um, recanting uh, uh, in a plea deal, um, testifying to your guilt uh, in front of witnesses, including uh, the victims uh, has been an important part of plea bargaining for years and restorative justice uh, is kind of a formalized um, perpetrator apology tour. Uh, it's there's a, there's apparently a formal process out there, and there are mediators who engage in this process, uh, some of whom I'm trying to get. I've got an email out to a couple of people who I'm trying to persuade to appear on our podcast in a, on a future date. Um, but it's essentially a theory of justice that emphasizes as you mentioned, repairing the harm that is caused by the criminal behavior of the perpetrator. Um, It's essentially an alternative to the traditional methods of handling criminal behavior. Um, It can be valuable to both the victims and it can also reduce repeat offending of, of 
the crime that an accused has been convicted of. Uh, our current system of justice is essentially, as you probably know, uh, a punitive system. We punish the perpetrators. Um, and restorative justice is um, more about fairness and responsibility, taking responsibility for your bad behavior, apologizing for it, uh, reconciling the differences between the offender and the victim. The punitive system emphasizes punishment. The restorative system or model emphasizes reconciliation. And that's that's the main difference between the two. And again, I, it, it's new to me. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, like uh, I don't know how many Americans uh, out there who watch television um, on a regular basis. I would not call myself a person who watches television on a regular basis, but I'm addicted to a show. Uh, I like I I do like um, legal programs on TV. So there's a, a few programs that that um, one hour dramas that are based on the law, Law and Order, uh, SVU is one of those. Um, my books, uh, um, I've had a couple of reviewers uh, mention that my legal thrillers seem to be ripped from the headlines, uh, Law and Order type books. So, Considering that Law and Order SVU has been on TV for 21 years, I take <laughs> I take that as a compliment. Um, there's some new shows. Uh, one one I'm fond of is All Rise, uh, where a young prosecutor becomes a judge and is, and is essentially learning how to be a judge on the job. It's an interesting show. Over the last five years, though, I've been watching a program called How to Get Away with Murder. And I don't know if you've ever turned I, I that show on. I haven't seen it, but, but I have heard of it. It's an interesting show. Uh, it's, it's the exact opposite of what you would expect, because in that show, people who commit crimes get away with it. <laughs> But but uh, a terrific actress by the name of Viola Davis uh, is the star of that show. She's won an Emmy for it. Um, and the reason I raised the show today is because that's what uh, brought me to this topic of restorative justice. Uh, the episode last Thursday was about this very issue, and it was about a teacher who brought a gun to school uh, because he was afraid of a particular bully in his in his classroom, and um, the bully reached into his bag. I'm sorry, I, I called him a bully. He's the victim of bullying. But he reached into a bag in class. The teacher immediately assumed he was reaching for a gun because he had threatened to do something like that. And he pulled out his gun and shot him to death. And in the show, they decided uh, to not only... Uh, he pled guilty. He was about to serve 25 years in prison. And they decided to involve the victims, the child's grandparents, in a restorative justice uh, program. And both parties agreed to do it. And I thought it was fascinating. 
So I did some research and decided what a great topic to discuss at our next podcast. And that's that's <laughs> That TV show is where I got the idea of discussing this issue and uh, during our podcast today. That's a great explanation. I, I'll tell you what. Um, we, we have two more uh, items for uh, tonight. Um, number one, let's talk about your books. And then okay. we'll go back to Roger Stone. That work for you? Uh, it works for me with uh, the exception of, uh, of spending about five more minutes on, on this issue. I, again, I'd like to get an expert in here and have him tell the people, uh, explain this to the people in a much better way than I can. But I would sure. like to discuss at least a little bit uh, the differences between our current punitive justice system and a restorative justice model. Um, as you know, crime is litigated in America as a bad act against the state. So when you are part of the criminal justice system uh, as a defendant, the person bringing charges against you is not the person you offended against. It's the state. You committed offenses against the state. Um, the threat of punishment and the punishment itself uh, are used as a vehicle to deter crime and change a perpetrator's behavior. Punishment is the way we hold offenders accountable. The victims are basically on the sidelines. Like I said, uh, there's a, there's a allocution I think I used the word recanting. That's the wrong word. Uh, the when a when a, when a um, defendant pleads guilty, he allocutes. He confesses his crime and apologizes to the victims if he so feels uh, obligated to do so. Uh, focus in that situation is placed on blaming the perpetrator and finding him guilty. The victims are on the sidelines of that process, except during this allocution hearing, if the, um, if the defendant decides to allocute. The crime stays with him for life. There's no encouragement of repentance. There's no forgiveness. Um, it asks three questions. Have, have laws been broken? Who committed the crime? And what punishment are we going to give them? Under the restorative model, the crime is not com uh, committed against the state. It's committed against the individual. And uh, in a broader sense, the local community in which the individual lives. Punishment is not uh, the only effective means of resolving the crime, and punishment can often be harmful to both the victim and the community. The community can never, sometimes never recovers from the battle be between victims and perpetrators. Um, in the restorative model, the offender assumes responsibility, accepts 
the impact his crime has had on the victim and actively takes action to try to repair the harm that he has done. In a good restorative process, a victim will play a central role. One of the criticisms of restorative justice is that often the victims are left out of the process. It's it's focused on the perpetrator more so than the uh, victim, and that's a criticism of restorative justice. Uh, these, These facilitations that I spoke of are done at the community level. So the entire community gets involved in resolving the differences between victims and perpetrators. And uh, most importantly, if the offender goes through the process and takes affirmative restorative action, the stigma of this crime in the community can be eliminated. He can once again become a good person. Uh, so, um, and it, the big, the, you know, I asked three questions before. The three questions asked in restorative justice is who has been harmed? What are the needs of those who have been harmed? And who has the obligation and ability to repair the harm? Quite a different model than the punishment model. So, uh, I find it fascinating. I, I, I could see that, you know, you take a, uh, a young offender, first-time offender, never been in trouble before, makes a mistake, feels terrible about it. You send, you send this kid to jail for 20 years, uh, and he comes out a hardened criminal? Or, or do you engage in some kind of process like this? And... Uh, turn him into a responsible member of society. Uh, it's an interesting topic and an interesting discussion uh, to have with people who understand the process uh, better than I do. But I just think it's a fascinating topic. And by the way, this is not limited to uh, criminal courts. Uh, think about it in terms of perhaps a school disciplinary situation, a bullying situation. Um, this this is not uh, limited to courtrooms. It's also not a, um, in my opinion, not a one-size-fits-all fix. Uh, you've got to ask what's the crime, who's the criminal, what happened to the victim? Uh, is it a situation where retribution or perhaps rest- restitution can be made? Let's say it's a uh, um, a theft case. C- could you return what you stole uh, and-, and apologize? Uh, will that have an effect on your on your criminality and your sentence? Uh, it's an it's it's a to me it's a very interesting topic and that's why I brought it up. Oh, it uh, as to is. as to my I, books, I, I think it's a, an avenue that uh, deserves respect and uh, deserves explore, uh, exploration. Absolutely, I. I, I so, Again, I I think I think, I think best to, uh, it's be- the, the stone trial. Um, one last comment about restorative justice. I, I, I that last example I gave you, uh, not the school example, but the the first time criminal who steals something. I can't think of a better application for for this kind of an approach. Why should why should someone who steals a car and returns it? go to prison for many, many years uh, for grand theft auto when there's a better approach that makes him a responsible member of society. Uh, So uh, I think think it's a very important discussion. 
Uh, as to Stone, um, the, the, the reason I wanted to go back to it is because we really didn't get to um, the details of what, he's, what he did. You've got this guy, Credico, who uh, Roger Stone thinks has a um, – he sets him up as a patsy, essentially. Um, Stone apparently, uh, according to the FBI, Stone has a in with WikiLeaks to release the Tedesco emails related to Hillary Clinton. And he wants to get Julian Assange to release those uh, uh, it, for those of you who don't know, uh, Julian Assange is, is the head of WikiLeaks, and WikiLeaks is the organization that released the Tedesco emails. Um, Stone wanted a message passed to Assange about releasing the emails, and he did it through a particular individual and then told Congress that he used Credico to do it. Uh, Credico denies having done it. He says that uh, a gentleman by the name of Jerome Corsi, all-around bad guy, uh, was the person who did it. And Stone had already told Congress that Credico was the one. So he turned to Credico and said, tell Congress that you were the one. And Credico refused to do it. And he threatened uh, bad things would happen if he didn't. And that's your uh, A, lie to Congress, and B, witness tampering and obstruction of justice. You can't lie to Congress and you can't tell others to lie uh, or threaten them uh, that if they testify honestly, uh, bodily harm is going to come to them. Uh, Stone um, kept raising issues related to the Godfather movie and I don't know how, how, how much of a student you are of The Godfather, but there's that scene where the guy uh, comes into a uh, congressional hearing and lies his ass off um, because whatever Congress does to him isn't going to be as bad as what Vito Corleone does to him if he tells the truth. Yeah. So... so uh, there's a uh, the the, the uh, amusing moment about the trial is this is this uh, invoking of scenes from The Godfather to the point, by the way, where the judge said when he let people go, uh, the jury go for the uh, evening, he told them not to not to watch TV. And not to go on Netflix and dot, and download the the Godfather. <laughs> so, um, just a little just a little side note, and and, and uh, I'll, I'll get probably five minutes to talk about my books. Um, under federal law, it's a crime to lie to Congress. That should be obvious to people. Um, I mentioned Watergate earlier. The Attorney General of the United States, John Mitchell, and the White House Chief of Staff, H.R. Haldeman, during the Nixon administration in Watergate, were both found guilty of these crimes, and they served 19 and 18 months in federal prison, respectfully. Respectively, excuse me. Um, so... Uh, that tells you how serious this is. Uh, more recently, for people who 
are not students of history. The president's personal lawyer, Michael Cohn, who we mentioned earlier, pled guilty to the same crime. He's serving a three-year sentence, and he lost his law license. Now, I would bet that the 18 and 19 months that Mitchell and Haldeman served were probably uh, reduced sentences of a longer term, and Cohen could easily get out in 18, 19 months also. But um, to, to be convicted as a lawyer uh, to three years in prison and lose your law license is a life-changing event for a guy like Michael Cohen. Um, and again, I want to note that President Trump did submit answers to written questions during the Mueller probe. I don't know that for a fact that they were under oath, um, but if they were and the answers are proven false in the impeachment probe, then the Clinton precedent were were Clinton made false answers in a deposition, and that was a considered an impeachable crime. Um, lying about who you had sex with, by the way, is is to me not an impeachable crime. But what are you going to what are you going to do? Um, he t- he did lie he did lie under oath. Um, but Stone is also facing these types of crimes and sentences for lying. But more, he's accused of obstruction, as I indicated earlier, which is made famous also by Nixon in the Watergate affair. And a person who is convicted of obstruction faces up to 10 years in prison under federal law. So uh, I think it's an important trial, an important part of this whole process of justice for uh, a lot of bad people, including Um, the President of the United States and we'll have to wait and see what happens Okay you've um, beaten up on uh, Cohen Um, what do you think is going to happen to uh, Giuliani poor Rudy running around (laughs) the globe you know being a badass Um, do, do you think there's going to be some comeuppance for him. I I I don't know. I think so. I, I again I, I very much. Um, what's the uh, the gentleman's name escapes me. Um, it'll come to me. The current chief of staff and office of management and budget. Oh, Mulvaney. Mulvaney. Um, yeah, I think either he, I think either he or Giuliani are being set up to be the fall guys. Um, yeah. We'll see who it is. Uh, to me, the buck stops at the top. Uh, to the Republicans, I believe that the buck can stop anywhere but the top. So. I think one of those two gentlemen is going to be thrown to the wolves. And if I, I, I believe it's going to be Mulvaney, but I think it could be Giuliani or both. Um, Giuliani, uh, especially if those two Ukrainian citizens uh, get convicted, um, I think there's too much of a connection to Giuliani and I think if they get in uh, in serious enough trouble where they're facing significant time in prison, I think they'll they'll turn on him. So we'll have to see how it plays out. But I I certainly think he's uh, behaved badly. Right. Okay. We are, I'm looking at the clock, and we're out of time. Um, ouch. You know. I will, I, I, I'll say, I'll say this. Flies by. <laughs> um, Mark, I, I'd love for you to uh, give us your uh, parting uh, remarks for the day. Well, you asked, you asked me to mention my book, so I will. 
Uh, okay. It's a, Zachary, it's a Zachary Blake betrayal series. They are legal thrillers. They're available on Amazon. Betrayal of Faith, my first novel, and Betrayal of Justice, my second novel, are currently on sale. So if you go to Amazon and you look up those two titles, you'll be able to buy them for less than the cost of a single book. Um, Good night, everybody. I enjoyed it as always. (laughs) This is Simon Barrett wishing everyone a happy and healthy and safe week. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Journey into Justice. Who knows where we will be headed next week. Till then, goodbye. Bye, all.